0: Well, so as we uh, try and grow together, would you mind opening your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, which is in about the last three-fourths of your Bible, Luke 16, is where we're going to uh, spend some time today. And if you didn't bring a Bible, we say this every Sunday, we have ones, black ones in the seat rack, hopefully nearby you. If you want to take one out and turn to page 730, that'll get you to Luke 16. And if you don't have a Bible, please take that one. We'll replace it. We want every person to have a Bible. But if you turn to Luke 16, uh, we're going to, as I already mentioned, the banners up here. Last Sunday, with about 300 of us, we started a new series called Give, Pray, Fast. Do you mind saying that with me? Give, Give Pray, fast. fast. Now, where do we get that title? Well, in Matthew 6, part of the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus preached, he, in, in chapter 6, highlights three practices, three spiritual disciplines that are important for his followers. He's not saying they're the only disciplines, the only spiritual practices, the only habits that he wants his followers to have, but there are three really important ones, and they're give, pray, fast. And if you're following along in the notes, here's what I hope you'll see, is that Jesus says when, not if, you give, pray, and fast. He says when you give, when you pray, when you fast, not if you give, not if you pray, not if you fast. So he went on to say, here's how you can do it when you do it. And we looked at that last week and beginning to talk about give, and here's where we're going to go. We're going to spend one more week on give today. Next week, we'll spend five weeks on praying, and then we'll spend two weeks on fasting. And I think you're going to want to be part of that. I think it's going to help you. If you're interested in moving from shallow to a more mature relationship with Christ, I think it's going to be encouraging to you, and I hope you can be part of it. But." Notice, this is the sentence that we have for the series. When we give, pray, and fast as Jesus teaches, it brings reward. When we give, pray, and fast as Jesus teaches, it brings reward. You you and I have all done spiritual practices or disciplines in a way different than Jesus teaches or just in a dead rote way, and we all know that doesn't bring much reward. And we pray it does if it's gonna be that death dealing. But Jesus says, no, no, no. I want you to know, each time in chapter six when he talks about these three practices, he says, I want, to, I want you to know why I'm teaching this because your father who sees in secret, who watches and knows your heart, when he sees you moving into these areas, he'll reward you. People say, well, is it right to teach about rewards? Isn't that a bad motivator? It wouldn't be right unless Jesus taught it. But Jesus teaches that it is a good motivator. The question is, what kind of reward do I want? Is my reward Him? Is my reward the kinds of things that He can give? Or is it just something that only the world can do to reward me? And Jesus says, man, aim high. So last week, we had a message on highly motivated giving. And by highly motivated, what we meant was, is that instead of living for the praise and the attention of people to see our giving, live higher. Go for what your father sees, even if no one else sees. Live for an audience of one. If you need to, do it in secret so that people don't know, but go for his go for his praise, go for his reward. And then we also saw that instead of just trying to gather everything we can on earth, and there's nothing wrong with enjoying those things, but go for a more higher motivation of storing treasure up in heaven. And we talked about how you can do that. How you can convert things here on earth into heavenly treasure. Amazing thing. So we talked about the fact that what keeps us from giving like that is a lack of trust. It all boils down. Do I trust Jesus enough to believe he knows what he's talking about? Because <laughs> sometimes when we're holding on to our wallet, our check, but it's like, uh we got to trust. And so he says that this is how I grow your heart in a tangible way. Try me. Let me show you how I'll grow your heart through these practices. So. That's where we've been. Now today, I want to talk to you about planning to give. And here's why I want to talk to you about planning to give. I don't know what you've observed about yourself and how you handle your resources, your possessions, your time, and your talents. Here's what I've noticed about myself. When I don't plan to give, I don't give very well. But when I plan to give, I give better. And the better I plan, to give, the better I give. Let me give you an example from when Trish and I were first married. I'm married over 31 years now. When we first got married. You know, every couple's got to figure out who has the different hats to wear. So I wore the hat of paying the bills. And so uh, I would uh, pay those, and, you know, again, every month. And so after about six months, Trish had given me quite a bit of latitude in that without asking me a lot. And she just said, Hey, how's our giving to God? And I said, Ah. Uh. I said, not very good. It's kind of hit or miss. Kind of like when the mood hits me. And she goes, wait a second, you know, our parents both taught us how to give. I mean, we're a couple now. Are we gonna get on board with this? Or like, what's the plan? I said, Well, I think the plan is to like, whenever the impulse hits me. She said, We got we learned different than that. Come on. So she challenged me. And I gotta tell you, I'm so thankful for a wife that lovingly, humbly just called called me to a higher Thing. And, but what I noticed is, is that if I didn't have a plan, it was more sloppy. Make sense? Now, some of you have come to me after we've taught on this year after year, and you've said, I don't have a plan. I said, I know, man, when you don't have a plan, it's, it's hard to really aim at that very well. You, it, when you plan, it's, it's more likely to happen. And so we talked about this last week, that in the United States, even though we're one of the richest countries in the world, you realize that the average U.S. Christian gives 2.4% of their income to charitable causes. Now, I'm thankful for the way our country responds in crisis. I'm thankful for the way our country responds and cares about other countries besides our own as well as our own. I got to tell you, for being the richest country in the world, that is like a really small percentage. And here's what most researchers say, the trend for most people is that the more money they take in, the lower the percentage is they give away. You'd think that it would go up, but it actually goes down. And that shows us that all of us are in danger if we don't have a plan that we're not gonna give better, we're gonna probably give less. We're just gonna go with a normal drift. So Luke 16 is a parable that Jesus told. Last week we saw Matthew 6. This week I want you to look at Luke 16 with me, and we're gonna talk about something. And if you're following along in the notes, here's what I want you to see is that Jesus tells of a dishonest steward who's commended. Jesus tells of a dishonest steward who's commended. In other words, is Jesus telling this story because he says, hey, I commend dishonesty? No. And so this parable has messed with a lot of people's minds over the years, trying to understand, what's the point? Why does Jesus tell this? And friends, I think the reason why Jesus tells us this story, and I think I can show you as we read it, is that he says, look, Unless you form a plan to give, unless you understand what you're doing with your money and how you can make it really count, you're not going to be a good steward. You're not going to be able to give like you want to be able to do. So what we're going to do is look at this in just a moment. Let me pray, and then we'll talk about this, all right? So, Lord, I want to grow. And what I think is true about so many people in this room, I'm thankful for it, is I think a lot of people want to grow, and we want to be givers, God. We want to learn to have our hearts grow a bigger size, not shrink to pea size. And so you've given us this practice, and I pray you'd teach us, even today, how to keep growing in it, how to learn more about it, so that years from now we can look back and say, I'm growing as a giver. I thank you that that's your intention for us. You love us so much. You help us with things like this. In your name we pray. Amen. Okay, let's read it together. Follow along with me if you would. Jesus told his disciples, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. Okay, does that make sense? This guy hired this money manager to take care of his possessions and take care of them, invest them, make sure that they stayed healthy and all that. And and what he found out is he got the word, this guy's wasting them. He's not doing a very good job. Verse 2, so he called him in and asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your mon- management because you cannot be manager any longer. If you're following along in the notes, here's what I hope you see. He has to account for his money management. He has to account for it. Now, he wasn't living with that in mind. He was just living by the seat of his pants. He was just living by whatever he felt like. And so in the process, he was wasting the owner's possessions, he was not handling them well. And here's the thing, all of a sudden, the day of reckoning came, and the truth came out, and this guy had to give an account. And I wanna just ask you a question. If Jesus were to ask you this day for an account of how you're handling money, what would he see? Would he see a sloppiness? Would he see a carelessness or would he see an intentionality? Would he see a kind of humility, a kind of partnership with him? Or would he say about you, hey, what is this I hear about you? You're wasting the possessions that I trusted you with. Come on. You know, the Bible says we're going to one day give an account. You and I are going to stand before God. That day is on everyone's calendar. And some people go, I don't like hearing about that. Friends, all I want to say is that day doesn't have to be the worst day of your life. That day can be a great day. I believe there's two questions he's going to ask every person. What did you do with my son, Jesus? And what did you do with what I gave you? And on that moment, it's going to be seen for what it is. There's not going to be do-overs. There's not going to be one of those things, well, I'll eventually get around to it. We're going to give an account. And so with that sense of responsibility and accountability, man, we need to live more intentionally. You know, Luke 12, 48, just four chapters before this, look at what Jesus says. He says, He says, from, in fact, let's read it together. From everyone who has been given much, much will be required. So if we are the richest nation in the world, and some of us say, I'm not part of the rich, I want to tell every one of you in this room, if you haven't heard this before, you need to hear it. Yes, you are. If you make fifteen or $20,000 a year, you are in the top 6% of the world's rich. I'll tell you, one of the most eye-opening things this week is I went to globalrichlist.com. Here's the website up here. You can write this down. I I think you'd find it fascinating. You type in your income, and then it shows you where you are in the world. And I'm telling you, you realize the median of the world is, I mean, 50% of the world make $10,000 or less. It's just an incredible thing, and we are one of the richest nations, and so We have been given much. Now, you may say, I haven't been given as much as my neighbor. That's not the point. You've been given more than all the rest of the world. What are you and I going to do with it? Are we going to look back and say, I I mean, when it's time to give account, I was was not a good steward. I was dishonest manager. And he just just says, hey, you know what? It doesn't have to be that way. So let me show you how it can be differently. So anyway, here's what I want you to see. So verse 3. The manager said to himself, stop. You know how all this begins to change? It all starts, the Bible says, each person's got to decide some things in their heart. They got to have some conversations with themselves and God. They got to say, okay. So notice what this guy does. He says to himself, what shall I do now? It's a great question. My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg, I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. Again, this is an agrarian society. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 450. You see what this guy's doing? He just took his master's stuff that was owed to him, and he cut it in half what the guy owed. So he gonna, he's only going to get half back, his owner was, his master. And then he does another thing. He says, then he asked the second, how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 800. The master, notice, it doesn't say Jesus did. It says the master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. You ever use that word, shrewdly? Have you said this past week, they're shrewd? Have you tried that? I had to look this word up because I don't use it a lot. I know what shrooms are, but I don't know what shrewd is. And shrewd means that that person has a certain cleverness. They have a certain sharp mindedness. They're they're able to adapt to a situation fairly quickly and readily. And so this guy was shrewd. He gets commended for being shrewd. Shrewd in what way? So it says, for the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. Now, would you read verse 9 with me? And I've listed it from the New Living Translation in the first gray box. Would you read it out loud with me? Here's the lesson. Use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. Then when your earthly possessions are gone, they will welcome you to an eternal home. Now, let me just help you see a couple of things here as we talk about forming a plan. First, why was this guy shrewd? I mean, he was like D minus, F plus as far as character, right? got a terrible grade for character. You wouldn't want him as your money manager. So why does his owner commend him? I think there's three reasons, and I've listed them there. He faces reality, forms a plan, and follows through. Remember this? We've talked about this before. And I'm not afraid of doing something that reminds us He faces reality. He says, man, I don't think when I lose this job, I know I'm not going to be able to dig. I don't think I'm going to be able to do this, this, and this. What am I going to do? He faces reality. You know what the turning point for a lot of people is, with their finances? Is finally saying, I have been imagining what my situation is. I've been guessing what my situation is. I've been trying to push it away so I don't have to think about it. It takes courage, but I'm going to face my situation. I'm gonna face how much I'm in debt. I'm gonna face how much money I make. I'm gonna face how much money I'm giving. I'm gonna face reality. Then it says he formed a plan and follows through. Now this is awesome. It's not necessarily the best plan. It's not the kind of plan that Jesus would recommend as far as kind of character. What he's saying is he at least had the shrewdness to form a plan and then here's the best part, he follows through. I've met people from time to time. They'll take me to their computer or their tablet and they'll say, I want you to see my plan and it's four color. It's gorgeous. And I'll just go, like, have you done it? Oh no, but it's so fun to look at it. (laughs) And truly, I found myself doing that too. We think that just because we go all the trouble, we actually go, man, can you imagine when we do that someday? And the plan is meant to follow through. So when you and I do that, and we stick with it over time, you realize the power of that? That's what this guy did. But here's the point of the story if you're following along. Jesus says, plan to give with eternal perspective. Plan to give with eternal perspective. Be intentional, not impulsive. Don't just keep always just letting the mood hit you. Don't just float along through life. Understand that there is coming a day when you will not regret that you have been intentional you will begin to know the rewards of that. You will live a much more rewarding life if you plan to give rather than just float, rather than just drift. And so over the years, we have been teaching on this year after year after year. And the danger is, is that people may think that I'm offering a plan or we've been offering a plan that's meant to stay static, that's meant to stay something like that. So, what I want you to see next is that we're talking about an adjustable starter plan. And this starter plan is called the 101080 plan. You can write that out to the right. Some of you already joked with me before the service. You knew it was coming, so we can all do a corporate eye roll, okay? But the point is, is that this 101080 plan has been the basis, has been the training wheels for so many of us in this church that I absolutely have seen the power. Of it being an adjustable starter plan. We taught our kids this plan when they were little. Some of you say, I don't even, like, who's teaching my kids? It's gonna probably be you. Because it's not gonna be the schools, probably not. It's not gonna be our government. I'm not trying to bash. I'm saying, they're not modeling it, they're not teaching it. We have to take the initiative to teach our kids. Because more and more, I do premarital counseling, and I just find a lot of those people, you can tell the ones that have been taught and the ones that have not. And it's just a growing concern. So how are we going to be able to, you know, look forward to that day? So he does all that. And here's what I want you to see. What Jesus says here, this verse 9 that we read together, it bothers a lot of people. Because they think, is Jesus saying, use worldly money, wealth, riches, possessions to buy God's salvation? No, Jesus isn't saying that. That would be totally contradictory to what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, do you realize there's only a few things that will last forever? The Lord, his word, and people. And someday in heaven, if you give yourself to God and his work in the world, you're going to be able to be welcomed by some other people that are going to be part of what happened because you invested in it. And you're going to be glad for that kind of welcome when Jesus and his people welcome you into heaven. So go for that, invest in those kinds of things. And we talked about that last week and I'll talk about it a little bit more in just a little bit. But some of you, this all got crystallized back in 1990 when you heard the words of this song. I dreamed I went to heaven and you were there with me. We walked upon the streets of gold beside the crystal sea. We heard the angels singing Then someone called your name. We turned and saw a young man running, and he was smiling as he came. And he said, friend, you may not know me now. And then he said, but wait, you used to teach my Sunday school when I was only eight. And every week you would say a prayer before the class would start. And one day when you said that prayer, I asked Jesus in my heart, thank you for giving to the Lord. I am a life that was changed. Thank you for giving to the Lord. I am so glad you gave. Then another man stood before you and said, Remember the time a missionary came to your church and his pictures made you cry? You didn't have much money, but you gave it anyway. Jesus took the gift you gave, and that's why I'm here today. One by one they came far as the eye could see, each life somehow touched by your generosity. Little things that you had done, sacrifices made, unnoticed on the earth, in heaven, now proclaimed. And I know up in heaven you're not supposed to cry, but I'm almost sure there were tears in your eyes as Jesus took your hand and you stood before the Lord. He said, my child, look around you. Great is your reward. Thank you for giving to the Lord. I am a life that was changed. Thank you for giving to the Lord. I am so glad. You gave, (laughs) and Jesus is saying, plan to give with eternity in mind, and you won't regret it. You know, most financial counselors would tell you, don't think about investing your money for three months, and think about 30 years. Jesus would say, don't think about investing your money 30 years. Think about investing it 30 million years. And imagine what might happen in eternity if you say, I can enjoy some of this, I can use this to help my family, but I want to also send and store this up in heaven where it's going to really, really mean more in the long run. And you and I can do this. This is amazing. So here's the plan, the ten ten eighty plan. You ready? I'm not going to talk about it in detail, and here's why. Last year, I did this. So if you want to write this down, January 20th, 2013, it's called the whole series we did where we give our whole life to God, it's money, then you can look, listen to that and I go into a lot more detail in this message than I can do today. But here it is real quick. Most Christian financial sc- counselors say this, here's where everything begins to change for people when they understand several things. First, the first one is this, and this may be the most important. 100 percent of all I have belongs to God I'm his steward, 100% of all I have, not 25%, not 75%, 100% of all I have belongs to God. I'm his steward, I'm his money manager, it's on loan to me. The question is, how will I steward it? Will I be dishonest, will I be slipshod, will I be careless, or will I be intentional? I'm his steward. I have talked to more of you that told me that was the most liberating understanding you've had in your whole life is to realize that when Jesus gave his whole life to save you and me from sin, that he did that life for life. He said, now, you belong to me. Everything I give you, I give to you so that we can steward it together. I want you to do it with me. And when you and I begin to look at our possessions that way, wow, we begin to see the adventure we've been invited into. So everything belongs to God. I could mention verses, but let me go on. Notice then that once we understand that, in the heart of a Christian who's filled up, not trying to buy his salvation or buy her salvation, but says, okay, God, now you show me how you want me to steward your money. The first possibility is this, is to give the first 10% to the Lord. To give the first 10% to the Lord. Some of you are going, wow. And let me just say a couple things about that. Tithe is, means 10th in the Bible. So look at this, Leviticus 2730, what it says says, a tithe of everything belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. So a tenth or a 10% of everything that comes, every time you and I get paid, what Trish and I have learned is the very first check we ever want to write is to the Lord. We want to do that first as an act of obedience and trust but an acknowledgement that all of it is his and he asked us to return the first 10% as an act of saying, I am all in for stewarding this the way you want me to steward it. And I am all in because I realize the potential of when it leaves my hands and gets into yours, it's powerful. And so, man, that's a powerful thing. And Malachi 3 talks about this. You know, let me, you know, will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me, he once said to his people in the Old Testament. But you ask, how are we robbing you? He says, in tithes and offerings. He says, I've told you that these mean a lot to me. So notice he doesn't say tithe only. What does he say? Tithes and offerings offerings. He says, man, when I'm growing your heart, you know, 10% will just be training wheels in your life. I'll, I'll show you how to just be so freely willing in that. And goes on and says, test me. Let me show you. If you'll practice this with me, I want to open the windows of heaven for you. Some of us go, does that mean lots of money? I don't know. It's up to God how he blesses us, but he will take care of us. But So a person says, I want to give the first 10% to God. Second thing, is to save the next 10% for the future, to save the next 10% for the future. We've looked in the past, but Proverbs 6 says, even the ant knows when to store and set aside. That means that instead of always spending every dime, learn how to scroll it back a little bit and not have to buy everything we see, And not, but learn how to save some, discipline ourselves that way. Do you realize that in the United States, there are very few savings accounts? Most people are spending an average of 110 to 120% of their income every month, and they are hoping that the government will bail them out, and the government's not going to be able to afford the crisis we're heading for if people keep living that way. You and I need to be responsible, we need to set it aside, for not only an emergency fund for a rainy day, so that we aren't always totally depending on someone else, but also for our future, retirement, things like that. Once you get into a pattern like this, it can be powerful. The third thing is to live within my means on the remaining 80%. To live within my means on the remaining 80%. If you look up here at Proverbs 21, 20, look at what it says here. It says the wise person saves for the future, but the foolish person spends what? All he gets. And so learning how to live within our means is actually a revolutionary decision in the United States. And you and I begin to say, how can I learn to be contented? Someone told me this last week. You know, one of the ways God's been growing my heart is that I have noticed that as I obey him in the other areas, I don't need as much as I used to need, in quotation marks. My wants begin to get changed. And so you and I can actually learn. But once we get on this 10, 1080, now, a lot of you go, been doing it for years. All I want to say to you is this, are you growing? are you growing? Trish and I, once we started learning how to do this, realized that what God was saying to us, may not be saying it to you, was, I want you to bump up that percentage every year, or I want you to consider this opportunity every year, and I want to keep showing you, because if you'll do that, I'm not, I don't want something from you, Jesus is saying, I want something for you. What will begin to happen is you, you will just find that your heart is more tenderized and more enlarged towards the things that really matter in life. And so, you notice if you're following along, here's the possibility. We can learn to be a priority, percentage, and progressive giver. To be a priority, percentage, and per- per- progressive giver. Some of you are here, and you haven't had a job. You lost your job. And you're hearing a message like this, and you're going, "Ugh." here's all I wanna say if it's in your heart to give, even if you're going through a difficult time, even if it's $5, give something. Plan to give something because in the act of giving, something happens. It liberates you from the control and the power and the false security of what money promises. And God is not interested in the size or the amount of what you give as much as he is the percentage. He says, look, I want you to give a percentage. I'll show you percentage-wise because if you give by percentage, you'll give way more than if you give by amount. And that's why some of us never give because we go, I can't give as much as Harry. But if you gave percentage-wise, like the old widow that Jesus once pointed out that only gave two pennies, he said she gave more than all the rest. Percentage-wise, God saw her heart. And that's all God cares about. Some of you are on fixed incomes and you say, I can't give like I used to give before. God's not interested in that. He's interested in your heart. So therefore, if you say, okay, God, I want to be a priority giver, that means the very first thing I do is you. I give first to you. I let you guide me. And then I'll help show me how to deal with debt, show me how to deal with my expenses, but I'm giving to you. Again, it may not be 10%. I think 10% is a great starting point. But you know, what? you got to decide in your own mind what to give. And we teach tithing here and beyond tithes and offerings and we've seen that change a lot of people, but some people go, okay, I'm going to start somewhere. Friends, what's your plan? If I were to write up here 5%, 5%, 90%, you at least could say, I formed a plan. Now, again, all I'd ask is just make sure it's whatever Jesus is showing you to do and make sure that you can do something, but can you imagine what would happen? So once we do that, what happens? And we keep growing as progressive givers. I'm so excited in this church. There's, a, there's a, a couple in our church that confided in me. They just said, we're a little bit older now. Our kids are grown. And our goal this year, God showed us, our goal is to give 50% of our income away. And they said, you cannot imagine what happens when we learn about different things. A lot of decisions to be made. But we are in the most adventurous place we've ever been. And some of you would go, they must be really rich. They're not necessarily really rich. God's just helped them get to a place where this many years of practicing, they're seeing new possibilities. See, it's adjustable. It doesn't have to stay 10, 10, 80. And some of us have been on 10, 10, 80 for so long, God says, are you stale? Like, is your heart grown? Are you still able to be moved by when I move you? So what happens if we set aside money like that? If you turn your notes over on the back, look at what you have there. I showed this last week on the whiteboard, but I'll spare you this week, okay? Uh, the pie there in the upper left-hand corner is whatever amount you plan to give. So, if it's 1%, 10%, 20%, 60%, whatever it might be, whatever that piece of pie is, you still have some decisions to make. So the first thing that the Bible suggests is that you give to you the church you're a part of. Okay, Bring the full tithe into my house, my grandfather used to tell me before I ever knew I was going to be a pastor. He says, Jeff, you and Trish don't have to do this but he said, Grandma and I, many years ago, when we read that passage, God said, I want you to give the first 10% to the church you're involved in, and then any offerings, give to missionaries or any other concerns you have, and I said, wow, okay, so that gave us something to think about. Trish and I talked about it, and we figured out how we were going to do that. Some people go, is it wrong if I don't give all 10 to the church? Friends, it's what you decide in your heart to give. God is more concerned about your heart, so if you say, oh, I want to, I'm not sure I want to give all 10% to the church. Maybe I'll give. The, I, again, please don't hear anybody hearing me twist your arm. I'm asking you, what's your plan? So the Bible says, make sure the needy and the poor are factored into your life. Bible says if our church ever, ever stops being concerned about the poor, God's blessing will never be on our church because he cares about the poor. He says, when you loan and lend to them, you lend to me. And so is that factored? If you look back on this last year, as you account for things, were the poor factored in at all? What might happen if you factor that in? Then notice your personal mission. You see personal mission there? I love this. This means that within your giving, there's all kinds of latitude. There may be some particular ministry or God's work in the world that you're especially drawn to. And you should invest in that. And you should do it with all the passion you possibly can. There's a couple in this church who lost their son when he was little, had some heart defects. You know what they've been doing the last few years? They have been giving money to an organization that will fly a child from a third-world country to the United States where they can get the heart surgery that that child so desperately needs. And that is their passion. And I love it. But then notice spontaneous. Some of you, the whole time you've been listening to this message, say, man, you really, really have been putting me in a straitjacket with this planning thing. I like to be spontaneous. There's plenty of room for spontaneous, especially if you plan for it. Can I just say something to you? I'm serious. It, it, you can, you're more freed up. So that was kind of funny. Uh, so, But after the, after the service is over today, or this week, some of you, the likelihood of you going to a restaurant where there's a server who's going to serve your table or wait your table is pretty high. I just need to tell you as a pastor, I have come to the conviction that the way we treat people that serve us is a witness. I pray that there is never a person at Cherry Hills that is rude to a server or that does not leave a tip and just leaves a track. Oh, send me on tilt. (laughs) Because what that does is basically say, let me help you hate Jesus even more. But when you and I are generous-hearted and kind-hearted, I've seen families that they not only do that for the server, but sometimes they listen to a certain server's story and they look across the table to their kids and go, you know what, we got a little extra money this month. What do you think we should do for the server? What should the tip be? And some families have left a larger amount or the whole same amount their meal costs for a server. I'm reading stories online of these people that are leaving way crazy tips for people because they can. See, it's in their heart to do it. And it's they want to do that. So again, I could, as you can tell, get stoked. One thing before we turn page back over. Some of you have asked me over the years, does the church practice the 10-10-80 plan? Like when I put money in the offering plate or I give to the church online, does it do the 10-10-80? I wanna be able to tell you something very good, yes. We double tithe. For the last 20 or 30 years, we never accept a budget that doesn't have at least 20% of our income go beyond our walls. And this year, for the first time, because of your generosity, Our church is going to give, our church alone, not counting individuals, what some of you will do in our community, it's going to give over a half million dollars away to our community and our world. Aren't you grateful for that? And because our deacons and finance, yeah, that's fine. Because our deacon team, our finance stewardship team, our administrator watch those things carefully. They make sure that our expenditures are tied to mission, that we don't have to spend everything that's budgeted and things like that. We have been able to To do all those things while still quickly paying off this property in a fast way. We just moved out here seven years ago. So it's really, really a powerful thing. And I'm just so thankful. And we do set aside reserves so that when emergencies come up for our church, that money is already set aside and we try and live within our means. And we want to practice as a church and as individuals because we know the power that when you begin to plan like that, I wish I could tell you all the things that happen every dollar you give in this church. So if you turn your notes back, oh, by the way, personal mission, I forgot to mention this, sorry. Notice there that within personal mission, you may be more uh, concerned about, you know, ministries that'll help share the gospel, like Paul Rollett here. If you support him, he's involved in evangelism and discipleship and mercy, but you may have a heart forgiving to some of that. You got to figure that out, but that's why we have contact ministries, Salvation Army, You know, James Project, that's why we're concerned about students like FCA and, you know, Young Life and things like that. There's lots of different ways to invest. So if you turn your notes back over. How do we do this? Lord, as I plan to be a giver, is this last line. Lord, as I plan to be a giver like you, grow my heart. There's a guy in this church that told me that he is so thankful for some of the technology because through online banking he is able to set up some adjustable idea of the 10 1080. So he's able to make sure that every time he's paid, when it's deposited automatically, the bank on a certain date will send to the church and any of the ministries that he cares about, will send those checks, and then he'll also have money put into savings. He never sees any of that, and he's learning to live within his means on the remaining percentage. And he says that's just an incredible deal but I found that once I got intentional and planned it it happens. And once it happens I started noticing there's a lot more options there's a lot more things to pray about and consider and I am so excited that I am laying up treasure in heaven. That I get to be a part of people's lives and the stories that are going to happen that we're going to take all eternity to hear about. And so man what an incredible what an incredible thing. And and again Every January, I pull out a file folder of the things that Trish and I have done during the year. And then I put on an eight and a half by 11 sheet, uh, before I take it to the accountant who does our taxes, just all the different things that we've done. And it gives me a way of seeing, did we or did we not give the way we wanted? Several things that have helped me is buy my checkbook. Um, Here's something, I don't know if you know, but a banker told me this once and I've read it other places. Most Americans do not know, even though they get paid every week or every two weeks or once a month, most Americans don't know what that exact amount is. That blew, that blew me away the first time I heard it, but then I realized I wasn't sure I could name it out loud at first. So by my checkbook, our checkbook, I wrote the amount that we make every month so I at least knew what the income was, because until you know the amount, you can't You can't crunch the numbers to make sense. You can't say, okay, what would be 10% of that, or 12% of that, or 6% of that, or 40% of that. You can't do that. So nothing becomes dynamic until it becomes specific. Do you know your numbers? And uh, once we going to do that, and then uh, able, like every December, there's a certain thing I do. Whenever I go to a restaurant, there's a certain kind of pact I've made with God. When I go to another local church where I may be visiting, there's a certain kind of personal mission I have because I love the local church, and I want it to work right. And all that stuff has helped just as, as I've been able to grow. And so I know that in a couple weeks, I'm going to pull out that folder, and I'm going to see whether or not I'm actually growing in the direction that God wants me to grow. And here's what I'm learning. When I don't plan to give, I don't give as well. But when I plan to give, I give better. And I open up the possibilities of eternal ramifications. Years ago, I read about a man named Maxie Jarman who owned a company called Genesco, over 83,000 employees, very wealthy guy. So a lot of people go, yeah, I'm sure he's rich. But we heard at the beginning of the message that if you have a lot of money, you tend to give less percentage-wise as time goes on, right? That's the trend. This guy was a believer who was a growing-hearted giver. So he had given millions to Christian work in the world, God's work in the world, and then a downturn happened in the stock market, and in one day, he lost millions of dollars. A friend of his came to him that knew some of the ways that he gave, and he said, Maxie, don't you regret giving those millions of dollars away? And he said, no. He said, the only money I lost was what I kept. He said, that will ripple for eternity. And when you and I begin to understand that and really believe and trust Jesus, we can give with a tremendous motivation. He can teach us the most practical lessons through finances. Will you pray with me? Now, Lord, I pray that as we walk out of here that we'll face reality and form a plan and follow through, not out of fear or guilt or drudgery, because as you teach, because of the opportunities, the adventure of being your money manager and investing in eternity. Show us how to manage money both here and there, And I pray that you'll help each person, especially those that are heavily burdened, that they'll know they can talk to a financial counselor in our church if they need to. Now, God, as we go, help us to keep you at the center. In your name we pray, amen. There'll be someone down front if you need to pray with someone.